all in Jesus' name. And all God's kids said, Amen. So please open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 18. We're going to take a few week break out of the book of 1 Corinthians. So Luke 18. And as you're turning there, allow me to tell you a story from Jim Cimbala about his oldest daughter, Chrissy, who grew up as a model Christian child. At age 16, she began to stray. And Pastor Cimbala said, I admit I was slow to notice this because I was too occupied with the church. Meanwhile, Chrissy not only drew away from us, but she drew away from the Lord as well. And soon she even left our home. As the situation grew more serious, I tried everything. I begged, I pleaded, I scolded, I argued, I even tried to control her with money. He says, looking back now, I realize the faults in all my actions. Nothing worked. She just continued to harden and harden and harden. One Tuesday night at a prayer meeting at church, an usher came up and gave me a note, and it said, Pastor Simbola, I feel impressed that we should stop the meeting right now and pray for your daughter. He said, I hesitated. Was it right to change the entire service and focus on my personal need? Yet something inside seemed to ring true. And so the church began to corporately pray that evening. And he says, let me describe to you what happened next. He said, the church turned into a labor room of sorts. There were groans and pleading with God. And the sounds of people praying like that are similar to giving birth, which are not always pleasant, but the results are wonderful. 32 hours later, back at his home, his daughter was rocking on her hands and knees on the kitchen floor, sobbing. She grabbed his pant leg and said, Daddy, Daddy, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against God, I've sinned against myself, and I've sinned against Mom. Please forgive me. By the way, Tuesday, who was praying for me? You see, in the middle of the night, God woke me up and showed me that I was heading towards this abyss. There was no bottom, and it scared me to death. I was so frightened. I realized how hard I had been, how wrong, how rebellious. But the Lord had his arms around me the whole time and said, I still love you. And he kept me from sliding any further. Pastor Simbola said her return to the Lord was so evident because she immediately entered Bible college and today she is a pastor's wife with three wonderful children. You see, this is the kind of prayer that breaks the strongholds. Satan is nothing but a servant of the Most High God. And God often uses this sort of prayer to get us where we must depend on Him. Nothing is impossible for our God. In troubled times, Christians, you want to know what to do? Pray like that. Pray like that. Now, we studied this passage a few years ago, but like I said, I've really been impressed. I know the ladies went through a study on prayer, and Sandra and I have been going through Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, which is Jim Cimbala's book. Again, we did it in the 90s, and we've been going through it again, and I just really feel impressed that we have seen numerical growth and spiritual growth and financial growth and, you know, it's so easy to get ahead of God in times like this. And it's so easy to lag behind God in times like this. And, and I'm asking you as a congregation, pray that we might be in lockstep with everything God wants to do and not get ahead of him and not lag behind. So if you have your bulletin, sermon notes, Roman numeral one, a desperate woman 
and an uncaring judge. If your Bibles are open, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, look at verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. Right there in your notes, first thing in this parable, we have a widow who had been cheated, cheated and has no one to help her with her problem. Now, we're not told exactly what the problem was, but most commentators believe that she was cheated out of an inheritance of some sort. That's what they believe. And so the issue is that in that time, a widow had no right to the inheritance. In our day and age, if your husband or wife dies, it automatically goes to the other spouse, but not so in their culture. If you read the book of Ruth, you'll discover that widows at that time had to have a kinsman redeemer in order to take the inheritance from her husband. The property would either go to a son, and if there was no son, then the next closest male relative. And that's what the book of Ruth's all about, right? Boaz being the kinsman redeemer, a picture of Jesus Christ to us. So here we learn about this judge. And we know automatically that he does not fear God. He doesn't regard man. He's kind of a self-serving, arrogant judge. Doesn't care about anybody. And he was probably placed there by the Roman government. Now, you've got to remember, the Roman government was ruling over Israel at that time that Jesus was physically here. And judges weren't paid very well back then. So it, it was very typical to offer a judge a bribe because they weren't paid so well in order to get him to rule in your favor. But this widow... She doesn't have the funds. She has nothing to offer this judge. So what does she do? She falls at the mercy of the court and pleads with him. You know what I found out in my walk is that a lot of times the Lord allows me to get into a very desperate situation when I tend to forget that it's he and he alone that can answer my prayer. And so God allows, he loves me so much that he lets me realize those things. When there appears to be no way out, all we can do is pray. That's all we can do. Go to the creator God of the universe who spoke everything into existence. All we can do is pray. You see, God wants his kids to have utter dependence upon him and him alone. There in your notes, the Lord alone is the one who can fix our situation. And he often solves the issue in a way that we would not imagine. I've often said that if God solves a problem the way you thought he would solve it, it probably wasn't God solving it. <laughs> so here's this widow, and she's begging and begging and begging for this judge. Intervene in my case. Hear my plea. So Roman numeral 2, the faith needed in prayer. Look at verse 4. And it says, And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I don't fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. <laughs> then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth. 
Listen to verse 5 again. Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest she wear me out. <laughs> the New American Standard says it this way. Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection lest by continually coming to me she wear me out. In the Greek, the words wear me means to strike under the eye. Strike under the eye. There in your notes, the judge is stating that this widow continuing to come to him is like someone who keeps poking him in the eye until they get what they want. Just imagine that word picture. Eventually they're like, just give her whatever it is. I don't care. He just can't take the begging from this woman anymore. I've heard enough. Please give it to her. She's worn him out. That's it. And so there's three points here real quick I want to touch on. Number one, the actions of the widow. Notice she doesn't sit on the couch just hoping something happens. I'm just going to sit here. Woe is me. You know, she didn't even go on Facebook. <laughs> she didn't complain to everybody she knew. She went to the one person who can make a difference. That's what she did. She took her concerns to the only person who could fix it. Notice verse 1 says, pray and not lose heart. There in your notes, to lose heart means to give up or to anticipate a bad outcome for your situation. You see, when we worry about something, rather than giving it to the only one who can change it, we are actually defeating ourselves. And, and I'm guilty of this. I mean, I could see anything as only half full. I am that guy. And, and I have to be very careful because I can be so negative. Look at a full church and go, yeah, but there could be. You know, and, and what I'm doing is I'm defeating myself. When you worry, instead of taking it to the Lord, you are defeating yourselves. Listen to what William Ward said about this. Worry is faith in the negative. Trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster, and belief in defeat. The Apostle Paul, while he's waiting to be executed there in the Philippian jail, said it this way. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then, verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is the way the message paraphrase says those verses. And I love this. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Let God know your concerns. Before you know it, you'll have a sense of God's wholeness Everything coming together for good and will settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry and becomes the center of your life. So when you're faced with circumstances that are beyond your control, you really have two choices. Just two. You can lose heart and worry about everything and let worry control your minds. Or you can pray. And trust the only one who can change the outcome 
And then he'll give you a peace. And how much peace? A peace that surpasses all human understanding as he guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him. Why? For he cares for you. That's why. You can cast all your cares knowing he cares for you. Because the Lord cares for us. He can be trusted to handle any situation that comes our way. All right, so number two, the widow's persistency pays off. Uh, again, she continued and continued and continued to ask. I love that. She didn't ask once and said, hey, judge, let me know when you come to a conclusion. I'll just be at home. Just give me a call when you're ready. No, she poked him in the eye some more. <laughs> she peppered his ears. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And finally, okay, enough. I wonder how many times we've asked God for something once and we've left it there. Okay, I asked. And we simply give up because we didn't get an immediate answer. Can I tell you something? I got saved as a teenager and I have been praying for my five siblings since I was a teenager. Sandra and I have been together for 31 years and we have been praying for family members every day together for all those years. Now, the good news is, is a few distant relatives have come to faith, but none of my siblings. And yet, I'm still poking God in the eye over them. Because I know it's his will that they're saved. And I know it's my will that they're saved. And God's going to give them the opportunity. Now, they're going to have to accept for themselves. But we have been praying and praying and praying. I want you to think of Samuel's mother, Hannah. She was barren. How many times did she go and seek God? Give me a baby. Give me a baby. Jesus himself, Tilo kind of touched on this, on, on the night there in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was crucified, there in your notes, as Jesus was in the garden pouring his heart out, three times he cried out to the Father until he finally felt the strength to endure the cross. All right, number three. The widow's faith is displayed through perseverance. There in your notes. In this parable, the widow persistently asks the judge to help her rather than spending time worrying on the issue. And so how many people would hear this parable and then say, so is God like the unjust judge then? Is that what you're trying to say? That God's unjust and we got to beg him somehow? Do we have to manipulate God? You know, we got to say the right words. And, you know, if I don't pray to the east, if I don't stand on my head, and can I really change God's mind? Really? I'm pretty powerful. I can create with my words. No, you can't. The short answer is no. No, you cannot. Jesus uses parables at times to show us contrast. Contrast. And look at again verse 7. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Here's the thing. If you are a child of the Most High God, if you've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, you're his, he is yours, he's going to answer. Here's the thing. It might be yes. It may be no. And my least favorite, it may be wait. 
right? I would much rather someone tell me no than wait. I hate wait. My patience isn't as good as it probably ought to be. James 1.4, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You know what I found out? Because oftentimes, I'll tell myself, oftentimes when I'm not patient, I realize that God's allowing things in my life to teach me those patience. Do you know that God has a plan even in the waiting? Do you know that? God has a plan. He loves you so much that he's even got a plan during the waiting, and, that, and that's incredible. And sometimes what we ask goes against his will. And, and we think somehow, again, that we're going to change his mind or we're going to manipulate God. No, you're not. No, you're not. You see, here's what prayer does. And this is a secret to some Christians. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes me. Right? R remember, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, right? So when I'm praying, what God's doing is giving me eternal perspectives. And sometimes he's holding back so that I can wait. But he's changing my will. And as I start to see things, you know, I think it was Garth Brooks that said some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. If he'd have given me everything I wanted, where would I be today? And, and so God knows because he sees tomorrow like it's happening today. But what prayer is doing is besides worshiping the one who can change the situation, it's also conforming my will to his. And when I get, come around to seeing things his way, then I get that rest. Then I get that peace. Then I get that joy. I get all those things because I'm in his will. And, and you see, once I finally rest and trust, then authentic prayer happens. God, okay, I trust you. I don't see it. I don't like it. But I trust you. Faith in God includes faith in his timing. You can't say, I trust God, and then say, but I don't trust his timing. His timing's always best. And, and remember, faith is, just, when you boil it down, it just means taking God at his word. God said it, and I believe it. That's called faith. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Kind of takes it out of my hands, right? Even when I'm faithless, he's faithful because he cannot deny himself. And again, God sees the future just like it's playing out right now. And so he's lining my will up with his will. It's almost like he's saying, simmer down, son, I got this. I got this. All right, so Roman numeral three, be authentic in prayer then. Look at verse nine. Also, he spoke this parable to some who, catch this, trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. 
I give tithes of all that I possess. So two men here. First guy, number one there in your notes, the Pharisee. The self-proclaimed religious good guy. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. But like we've learned before, they were so involved with rituals and rules and everything else, but they had no idea who God was. They looked wonderful on the outside, but they did not know the Lord. In fact, Jesus said they were the blind leading the blind is who they were. There in your notes, the word Pharisee comes from the Hebrew word prushim, which means to be separated unto a life of purity. As a Christ follower, you're called to live a life of purity as well. But you had better rely on the Holy Spirit or it's never going to work. Romans 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated. There it is. Separated to the gospel of God. The only separate life that we can lead, again, is by the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. But because of their arrogance... And looking down at others, these men, catch this, religious leaders actually hindered the work of God rather than drawing people to him. In Matthew 23, Jesus revealed to them that they were only concerned with outward appearances. In Luke 7, the Pharisees were mad because Jesus actually associated with sinners. Then in Luke 14, they were mad because he healed on the Sabbath. They actually... Jesus was actually more concerned with the man that needed healing rather than our rules. They were more concerned with positions than worshiping God. And so in this parable, who was the Pharisee praying to? Because this is important. Notice again, verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. That's who he was praying to. There in your notes, the Greek verbiage used here in Luke 18.11, for the word with, means that the Pharisee was praying to himself. What he's doing, he's blowing hot air. That's what he's doing. I thank you, God, that I'm so righteous. God, you're sure lucky to have a guy like me in your camp. It's all about me, Jesus. It's not about you. Five times in this one section... The guy uses the word I five times, five times. He only mentions God once. I, I, I. It's like some of these modern worship songs. You listen to them, it's I, 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 and you go, who are you singing to? You got an I problem. So do you think that his prayer was effective? Okay, let's look at the other guy. Number two, the tax collector, the unreligious bad guy. Look at verse 13. It says, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So again, remember, Rome is over Jerusalem at this time, right? And, and Rome has appointed these tax collectors. And the thing you got to know about these tax collectors was they weren't getting paid very much, so oftentimes they would collect way more than they were supposed to to line their own pockets. So Jews hated tax collectors because they were thieves. And, and that's what they thought. 
And, and so here is this guy, hated by everybody, and he can't even look toward heaven. I'm not even worthy to look towards heaven. God, have mercy on me. You see, God wants authenticity from our prayers. If you ever go through the Psalms and you read some of David's prayers, I love when David says stuff like, God, go kill them all. I love that. And some people go, well, wait a minute. How could he put that in scripture? God, wipe them all out. Because David is being authentic. It's not that God agrees with him, but God's letting him be authentic. You ever been mad at God? Don't tell me if you have. How many of us in this room have been mad at God? Have you ever gone to pray, pray when you're mad at God? I have. I've accused God several times. How could you do this to me, Lord? And God loves me so much, he lets me get away with it, right? If I'm God, I smite you right there. You're dead. <laughs> but God loves us, and he lets us because he knows our hearts. And he wants us to be authentic. He doesn't want us to be fake. Oh, God, I praise you, and everything's terrible, but I love you. <laughs> no, he wants us to be authentic. And here's the thing. This may be a big surprise to you, but do you know that God knows everything about you? The secret things. Right? We, we think we have a secret life, and God doesn't know. Hebrews 4.13, there is no creature, I think that includes you, hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All things. Hmm. In prayer, get rid of your pretense. Get rid of your masks. And talk to the God who loves you. He knows anyway. Right? He knows. And, and, and so, who's the tax collector praying to? If the Pharisee was praying thus with himself, who's this guy praying to? There in your notes, the proof that this man was actually praying to the Lord is shown by the way he is overwhelmed by God's presence. Come to the Lord and be overwhelmed by his presence. All right, number three, humility is needed in prayer. There in your notes, when we come before the Lord in prayer, we're to be authentic, honest, humble, and have a contrite heart, and then the Lord will not refuse us. This reminds me of the passage in Isaiah 6, and I'm going to read it for you because this is exactly the same heart. Isaiah 6, 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple above it stood seraphim each had six wings with two he covered his face with two covered his feet with two he flew and one cried to the other holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke so i said listen to the prophet Woe is me, I'm undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah and this tax collector had that same humble, contrite heart. I can't even look upon your holiness, God. In your mercy, remember me. Not over there... I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these losers. <laughs> Jesus said the tax collector went away justified, just as if I didn't sin. 
the tax collector went away justified. The other one didn't get anything. And, and so prayer is this honest conversation, one-on-one -on -one with the only one who can answer. Authenticity, humility, repentance, all necessary if you're going to come before the King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's get practical this morning. Again, Jim Cimbala, the church turned into a labor room. Can you imagine? That would make most of us in this room uncomfortable. I've been to prayer meetings like that. It made me uncomfortable. And it's not always pleasant. I've been in a labor room too. It's not always pleasant. But the results are wonderful, right? And, and 32 hours later, here's his daughter on the kitchen floor rocking Almost like, what do I do? She's broken and she said, who was praying for me Tuesday night? Think about that. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against mom. And so I thought I would end like this. How should we be praying for our family members? Because I think that is just so important. Again, I have siblings that, I mean, I've begged God's for, for God for years and years and years to save them. I have aunts and uncles and cousins, and I know the reality. I know where they're going if they won't accept Jesus Christ. And, and so how should we pray? And I'm going to give you three suggestions of how to pray for our family. Number one, a hand of protection to cover them. God's hand of protection and, and the interactions of this crazy world in which we live the, the hand of protection of God was there at the creation. It was there when Moses, in the, in the parting of the Red Sea, it was there with Joshua in the promised land. God, put your hand of protection on my family. I always, I've prayed this way, and it's a scary prayer. God, take them anywhere you have to. Whatever it takes, God, get their heart. That's a hard prayer, right? And how many of us would try to send a safety net when we pray like that. God, do whatever it's going to take. And then your wayward child calls up and says, I need money because I did this. And we go, oh, okay, write him a check. And maybe that is God getting them to a place where they'll listen. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But the hand of God is powerful. And that's a tough prayer. God, whatever it takes. Be prepared when you say that, because it may just happen. But number two is important, a sense of purpose to guide them. A, a recent survey said that 77% of young people expressed a desire to know the purpose for their life. But 50% of them said they spend time thinking about their future almost every day. It's a scary world, right? But while they're expressing we want a purpose, they'll do nothing to go out and achieve it, right? And, and so the fundamental question for us as Christians and then praying for them is, why on earth am I here? Is this just some puppet show of God? Why did he send me here? What did he send me to do? And, you know, by the way, you know, when you get to heaven, I don't think any one of us is going to say, gee, I w wish I would have worked 20 more hours. I don't think there's one of us that will say that. God doesn't do anything on accident. And he's got a purpose for your life. And he's got a purpose for your children. He's got a purpose for your family members. And if you're alive this morning, you can check your heartbeat. If you're alive this morning, he has a purpose for you as well. 
And, and when you discover what God has made you for, that purpose, that's the abundant life. When you walk in his purposes, man, there isn't a high in the world, there isn't a bottle in the world that will bring that to you. And number three, joy to sustain them. We've said this before, but happiness is based on happenings or circumstances, right? But joy comes from having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us this inexpressible joy when we know him that way. And that's his desire for his kids. So when we pray and keep that at the forefront of our mind, here's the thing. To whom are we praying? Who are you praying to? Are you praying thus with yourself? Oh God, thank you that I'm not like these other people. Are you really? Think about that. We have been given the privilege of having a direct line to the creator, almighty God of the universe. And, you know, thank you for this meal, Lord. Through the teeth, through the gums. Watch out, tummy. Here he comes. You're speaking to creator God. You're speaking to the one who can change anything. Nothing's impossible. Remember who you're talking to. But again, prayer is not about changing God's mind. It's about changing my mind. And we get that perfect peace and that abundant life when you're in his will. And when we realize how big and mighty and merciful this God is, it's easy to trust him. It's easy. And, and by the way, I would tell you to keep a, a prayer journal, right? So when God answers those mountain-moving prayers, you write it down. And the next time that you start to doubt, go back over that. Man, 10 years ago, God showed up. Then the next day, he showed up again. And then he showed up again. And if he showed up here, 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 he'll show up again. Remember that. God doesn't change. He'll show up. And so my heart is, church, that we would start taking prayer so much more seriously. And we are a praying church, if you don't know. During every service, we have two people in a prayer room praying. Do you, do you know how many people are praying at Jim Symbolist Church? He started with a church of 14 prostitutes, transvestites, and people stealing from the offering. Today, he has 500 people in a back room praying during every service. During service, those are the people just praying, Right? While he's doing service. It, it, it's amazing. And, and I don't care about numbers. If we're not pleasing the Lord, if we're not going in his direction, I don't care. I just don't care. I'd rather be a church of 10 doing God's will than a church of 10,000 doing my will. But with that being said, like I said, Good Friday, come out and let's, let's worship the Lord. Let's pray and seek God's face. And I mean, you know, Luke 11 tells us that the angels in heaven throw a party when one soul's converted. Wouldn't that be something on Easter? They're up there doing the happy dance, and we're down here doing the happy dance. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. And, and then in the near future, we're also going to do some midweek stuff, and th these planning things, and I just, I just think in the times in which we live, it, it's time to stop messing around, and it's time to get serious with what God wants. And I don't know about you, but there are times I have to ask God, what do you want? And so that's what I want. It's prayer. Tell me what you want, God. And, and so I can live in your will in that full abundance and, and just know that I know that I know that I'm doing what you want, not what I want. And so to whom are you praying? That's the question. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And like every week, here's another opportunity for you to pray.
There'll be some men and women in the back who would just love to pray with you. And, you know, it's so neat when we get to pray with people in the back. And it, it's, it's neat that God answers prayers, amen? I mean, you know, to think that he's grown our staff, he's grown our church. And, you know, someday soon we're, we're going to be in a new building and all that. But none of it matters if God is not being honored and we're not doing it his way. And, and so would you pray with me? That's, that's my prayer this morning. God, show us your way. Do it your way. Father, we love you. And Lord Jesus, we give you our hearts afresh this morning. We don't want to be like that Pharisee and looking down at people. We want to be like the tax collector who barely could raise his eyes to heaven because he knew your holiness, but he also knew answered prayer because you're good and you love him. Father, thank you for allowing us to be your kids. Lord, we lift up this time. We praise you. And our prayer, Lord, the cry of our heart this morning is to know your will. Know your will in our, in our lives, in our families, in our church, to know what you want. That we'd be in lockstep with you always. That we wouldn't be one step ahead or one step behind, but we'd hear you, we'd follow you, we obey, and we'd live in that abundant life because we're right in the center of your will. Make it so, God. Make it so. We praise you. We love you. Thank you for this time. And now we're going to worship the name of Jesus. And we praise you for it all. In Jesus' matchless name. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.